Welcome to the InnovaBuzz podcast, where our job is to help you build visibility, professional credibility, and connection with your ideal client by putting the human at the center of innovative marketing so you can build and strengthen an engaging, enduring relationship with your ideal clients. I'm Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz, and I'm honored that you're here with me. If you haven't joined our wonderful marketing transformation community yet, go to innovabiz.co and collect your free gift as well. Do subscribe to the show and also leave a review because it helps others find us. Let's get into today's masterclass on this InnovaBuzz podcast. Don't rush it. If you are really passionate about it, take the time to enjoy the process because yes, you're still working towards a goal, but if you rush through something that should take six months and you do it in a couple of weeks, you're going to miss out on the fun of building it and the experience of it. And when you get to the end, because you're going to do that over and over and over again, you're going to reach the end of that and have a successful business and be ready to sell it because you're so burned out and you don't like it anymore because you didn't enjoy the process. Welcome back. I hope you've had an awesome week so far. If you haven't listened yet to my recent conversations with improviser and corporate trainer Gillian Bellinger and with actor and playwright Sheldon Shaw, then do check them out, but only after you've listened to today's conversation, of course. I'm really excited to have on the Innova Buzz podcast today as my guest, Anna Adams of Wicked Marvelous. Anna has 15 years of startup operations, technology and marketing experience in mobile, luxury and advertising sectors. She's served as the Director of Marketing and Partner Relations and managed a client portfolio with an average $20 million per year budget. Anna was most recently the Vice President of Marketing and Operations for eMind Science Corp, a health tech platform focused on the intersection of mobile technology and mental health. She founded Wicked Marvelous in 2012 to help small companies, startups and entrepreneurs get their brand, platforms and messaging out to their audiences and jumpstart growth. In our discussion, Anna talked to me about why it's critical to have a good onboarding process for your team. We talked about reducing overwhelm to focus on your genius zone. And we talked about the importance of being your authentic self and enjoying the process of working towards your goals. Without further ado, then, let's fly into the hive and get the buzz from Anna Adams. Hi, I'm your host, Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz, and I'm really excited today to welcome to the InnovaBuzz podcast all the way from Westminster in Colorado, the USA, Anna Adams, who is a business consultant and founder of Wicked Marvelous, a marketing agency focused on working with businesses, determining the best way to grow a long-term team. Welcome to the InnovaBuzz podcast, Anna. It's a great privilege to have you here as my guest. Thanks for having me. 
Karan Nijuan, who was our guest on episode 333 of the Innova Buzz podcast, introduced us and suggested that we have a conversation. So a big hello to Karan. Hi, Karan. It's, it was a great, I also think if he called me out or you were on his and he called me out, it was really funny. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, now, Anna, what is it that drives you to um, work with small businesses and help them grow and grow teams and Technology, I know you work a lot with technology as well. Um, for me, it's really about helping small business owners find that like aha moment, the experience of letting them realize that they really know what they're doing and that there is an audience and a path forward for them. And in a lot of cases, I work with a lot of small business owners who have this idea and they don't know how to get to like a point where they could help somebody with it or where they have been doing it and then they're just completely strapped because they're doing everything on their own. And I love helping people figure out that A, they're not alone. This is not a solo journey as much as we call ourselves solopreneurs, but also that it's it's okay to be great at what you do and not great at the other stuff and still kick ass in business. Mm. Yeah, I love that. So so what do you mean specifically by the aha moment? I mean, you talked there a little bit about people having some knowledge or expertise that they can help others with. And often, I guess, people start out somebody, for example, I, I do a lot of podcasting. So I've been podcasting for a long while. So people say, well, how do you start a podcast? And so I explain it to them. Oh, can you help me do that? So I might start out helping do that. And at some point, obviously, that's got to become a business otherwise i'm just investing time in something that really is a hobby so how do, how do you take people from kind of that situation into the aha moment that there's a business idea there that that is actually sustainable for the long term uh we call my clients tend to call it that whiteboard moment of like wisdom i do this thing with almost everybody and it's so much easier when you can do it in person i mean covid totally changed this. <laughs> yeah. But I have giant whiteboards in my office. And or if I'm meeting somebody and we know we're going to do this, I book a conference room with like a wall of whiteboards. And my goal is to sit down and have you tell me absolutely everything about where you are, what your idea is, how vague or specific it is, what you know about what you want and why you think it's a business. And I take all of that information and we start mapping it all out. I start writing it on the boards. We start parsing it into pieces. What usually happens from that meeting in about, and I can usually, we can usually gauge in about 30 minutes of discussion. By the end of an hour, we've got a strategy for the next 18 months of like how to get from this semi-concrete idea you've got to a working functional business that's going to grow. And usually it's 18 months. Sometimes it's shorter than that. Sometimes it's a lot longer than that. I had a client where we did it and we mapped 18 months and then we mapped five years and 10 years and we did it in like two hours. And in six months, they hit their 18 month goal and 18 months, they hit their five-year goal. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's impressive. Yeah. So what kind of questions do, uh, do you ask people then to extract that information it sort of depends because unlike a lot of consultants, I don't work in one industry. So I, my big focus is small business owners. So I work with people across every spectrum. And 
so the questions are not specific. Some of them are really broad. It's usually a case of sort of like letting somebody wander down a rabbit hole because hmm. they know what they're thinking about. And if you can just let them talk, all of the detail comes out eventually. But it's also a case of picking the right points and asking those like dive deeper questions in the middle. Yeah. So it's not super specific. Okay. Yeah. So you have to be listening very carefully and picking up on, on the points. And I imagine you're really good at connecting the dots then too. It's one of my favorite things to do. <laughs> um, I will say that it's also a, it's generally also a physical cue. Um, you can tell when someone gets really excited about what they're talking about or what mm. they're super passionate about because of the way their face lights up and how like I'm a super emotive person. I talk with my hands. I'm always moving and gesticulating. I'm always writing. When people are still, it's really hard to gauge what they're looking at or what they're thinking about. If their face lights up, if they start moving, they're excited. Yeah. 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 So how, how have you dealt with the um, COVID situation and having to do these sort of meetings remotely with relying on, on those cues to give you an idea of that that's what like that's that's what lights that person up or this is something that they they just think is an idea but they're not really excited by it um i still can do most of it on video you can still see a lot of it it's definitely mm. harder to do it through a screen um <laughs> and i would say it probably takes longer but yeah. i and i have to admit doing the whiteboard aspect of this on a screen is the worst <laughs> <laughs> but it's we found ways around it. And I truly believe that a lot of it comes from just having a dialogue and a conversation with people in the beginning. Hmm. Hmm. I'll have to share some some uh, tools that I actually use online, which I think are really great for having an almost unlimited whiteboard. Oh, um, I don't know whether that would help. <laughs> I would love that. that later. I always yeah. love new tools. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so um, now you talked about developing, taking kind of that idea and and the things that excite people from that one example and developing a 18 months plan and a five year plan and a 10 year plan and, and then um, having that business achieve those plans really quickly. How do you take kind of that when you've got all that information on the whiteboard, how do you actually take that down into the plan and into the implementation steps? So the actual action that needs to happen to move people forward, because clearly to get those sort of results, there has to be a really um, well-defined action step and, and the business of the people in that business would have had to go through and do those actions. Um, so a big part of it is, you're right, is setting up a step-by-step -step plan and everything has milestones. I'm the one of the most type A people you'll be. I write, I'm like the queen of, I write everything down by hand. Things get, go back, they get organized in like massive boards of like progress boards of to do, doing, done, all of that kind of stuff. I track, we track everything and we track it all with deadlines. The biggest thing for this is if you can set a deadline, people get it done. If you leave it vague, it never happens. But the other thing about it is Knowing what your steps are, breaking each big piece into each smaller chunk that gets you into that sort of recognizable, easy to consume set of information and something that is easier for them to like output. It's also yeah. a lot about understanding and helping the client 
understand where they should focus versus what's the stuff that we need extra help with or that I can do for them because that's my wheelhouse. Um, so a lot of it is helping them understand that all of those steps are not their responsibility anymore <laughs> and that they don't all happen at the same time because that's a lot mm -hmm. of the other thing. I get so many people who come to me who are completely overwhelmed because they're like, oh my God, I have to do this, 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 and this, and it all has to mm. be done right now. And I'm like, no, it doesn't. It, I promise it doesn't have to be done right now. It can be done in a week, but it doesn't all have to happen at the same time. And you don't have to be doing it all at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. I think overwhelm is a, is a huge problem with, with all entrepreneurs. I mean, I suffer from it over and over and um, I'm pretty good at recognize it, recognizing when I'm doing it now. So I say, hang on, you're doing overwhelm. What's one little thing you can do to move forward? So I think the idea of breaking things down into steps is is really valuable in that. And also, you know, you talked about the idea that you don't have to do it all yourself. So one of the things that um, you say on your website, I think, in term, in your in your pitch, that you help people grow through teams. So talk to us a little bit more about that. So it's kind of interesting. It depends on what someone is looking to do in a lot of cases. So as an agency owner and as a consultant, I have a team behind me, uh, metaphorically, <laughs> that I bring to the table. So when we have to do, when we take on big projects, I bring all of those people with their skill sets to every client. So whenever we need a web design done, or I need to do, we need to do something specific for copywriting or PR. We've got people who that is their wheelhouse and they can help do one of two things. They can either do it for the client or they can help the client understand how to do it for themselves. And that's mm. very dependent on the client, what the client is looking for and what their big picture goal is. Some of them want to do everything like current. He likes to do things by himself, <laughs> but he also knows that like having support staff is super important because when you take off the weight of all of the stuff that someone else can do easily at a much lower cost than your time, it lets you focus on the stuff that you are really, really good at. And that's growing the concept in the business as a whole. Mm. Yeah. Um, there's a couple of things I'd like to explore there. You talked about, um, you know, Karen liking to do things himself. I guess I, I fall a little bit into that, um, into that, space i like to know how to do things and so i typically will try to do stuff myself first and then at some point realize that's not the best use of my time or that's i don't really have the expertise there whilst i can do it it's somebody else is likely to have 50 years experience and a lot of knowledge that i don't have and they're going to do a much better job and much quicker and much cheaper in terms of the time that I'm investing in that as opposed to spending my time elsewhere. Um, what, uh, how do you see the, that balance between the business owner really understanding what's going on in the business um, versus outsourcing if, if you like, or, or, you know, delegating specific areas to other people? Um, I think it's a fine balance, especially in the beginning. One of the things I really caution people on is not bringing on a ton of people on at the same time, unless mm. there's an exception to this. The tech world and startup tech especially is a little bit different in that like 
they hire mass quantities of people at once, but they're usually developers and they're all doing something very specific. I think, yeah. Um, and you have usually one of your founders in tech is also a developer. So they have a fairly good idea of whether or not your team is doing what they're supposed to. But when you talk to small business owners, not in the tech space, they, the best thing I tech recommend is when you bring somebody on, do things with them in the beginning. So they, two things happen. They get to know you, they get to know your business really well, and they get to know how your brain works, but also you get to see them in action so that you know, you learn with, you learn enough from them and they learn everything they need to know about you and how you work together. Hmm. And if you do that, especially in the beginning with like the first three to five people you bring on, especially people who are just acting in a support role who aren't taking on like a chunk of your business and running with it, like hiring an outside salesperson, but like admins and backend support and content creators, people like that, when you bring them on in the beginning, letting them get to know you and you getting to know them is one of the best ways for you to A, know what's still going on in your business, scale sustainably and feel confident in the people you hired. Hmm. Yeah, that's great advice. And I, I've always um, found that works really well. Now, what's your advice to then transition to the point of um, stepping away and letting go and so that the person who's doing that particular task or activity um, can actually... Spread their wings. Yeah, spread. That's right. I was looking for the right word. Spread their wings is a good word, and and essentially show showcase their expertise and and then develop and evolve that particular activity to a point that you, as a business owner, probably never could have. Um, part of this is setting a defined timeline. So when you bring somebody on, there should be an onboarding process. So there should be a day or two, depending on how big your organization is, where all of the logistical stuff gets sorted out, where they get their feet under them, they get login controls and access points and all that fun stuff, the technical details, if you will. And then beyond that, you should they should spend time with you on a daily or every couple of days basis, letting them get their feet under them, but also getting to know you and being together. And I really believe that that shouldn't happen that consistency shouldn't be a requirement for more than two weeks because at that point you guys will have, you should have created a rapport if you're spending a concentrated amount of time every day or even every other day. Um, so I recommend that period be two to three weeks. And then it's slowly, essentially by the end of that three weeks, it should be phasing down. It also depends on how big or what the role is. Like I have an admin that I still talk to every day, but that's also because they're my admins, their job. Mm. Um, but like I have social media coordinators that I work with who I check in with twice a month because that's where we do like cycle cadence reviews of content. And I know that I don't need to talk to them more than that. But in the beginning, I talk to them every day while they figured out if messaging sounded right. Hmm. Okay. And so I imagine you've got some pretty robust processes then in place, both for training and onboarding, as well as, um, as well as the activities themselves that, that people do. So how do you set those up and how do you manage them? Um, well, that's a good question. Actually, I do have a lot of them. A lot of it comes from, I'm like, I'm a, I'm kind of the worst example of an entrepreneur because I'm a big believer in learning on the go. Um, hmm. 
and as I go as well, I always like to be learning. So I am the I'm like you, I dip my fingers in everything for a while before I and like get the gist of understanding before I go hire somebody to do it for me. So in a lot of cases, by understanding what I'm looking for, I write more detailed job descriptions, which then gives me a better handle on writing SOPs. So we have, I have SOPs for different phases of development that I rec- that I use with clients, um, that I give them to use with their new hires. And a lot of it is just formal. It's semi-formalized training, I guess you'd say. It's not, hmm. I don't ever stick to a hard and fast rule that something has to be learned. Like you should be teaching somebody that you bring on into a role, something every X number of days or that they have to have mastered something by a certain point. If they're not getting it, they're probably not the right person for the role and hopefully you didn't hire them. <laughs> but the other aspect to that is you have to let, you've got to give people a chance to adopt content and knowledge same in the same way that you as, an, as a business owner have to give yourself the opportunity to learn. You've got to let people absorb all of the information you're throwing at them and throwing somebody into a deep dive training and hmm. like set of SOPs in like a week is a lot. So I'm a big believer in getting one or two things, like adding one or two things to the building blocks every week or two. Yeah, and it's a little bit, I mean, the, the whole principle of the adult learning model is that you kind of stage it in, right? It's, right. Um, when you first learn to drive the car, you, um, you're you learning bits and pieces like where's the ignition to turn on and where's the indicator and which side's the indicator on and which side are the windscreen wipers on and uh, then you know how do you change gears and brakes and so on and you don't just jump in and drive straight away right and then you have to figure out what you're looking then you have to figure out how to look outside your car (laughs) i'm teaching someone as an adult to drive right now so that's a very apt okay (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's it's a scary thing to do when you first start so I've, i've taken both my kids through their first um first driving things we did we did hire instructors so we did outsource the to some experts but of course they have to practice and so in the early days when they were still fumbling around it was quite scary to be the adult driver there yeah i'm the oldest of five siblings i've taken all of them on driving (laughs) my youngest two just got their driver's licenses a couple of years ago so it's very recent for me. <laughs> yeah, it's a good metaphor, I think. <laughs> it's a great metaphor for life and business, mm. especially. <laughs> hmm. Okay. Now, um, one of the things um, I find really helpful, and I keep having to remind myself to do this because you talked about, you know, exploring something to learn how it works and so on, and then I get to the point of, okay, I know enough about this. I've got to give it to somebody else to do. And I haven't recorded any videos or I haven't written down how I've done it. And, and of course, if I give it to somebody else to do and a week or two goes by and they come back and they say, well, how do I do this? And I, by that time, I've forgotten it as well. <laughs> so one of the things I find really good is just recording videos and screencasts of yourself doing things and then handing that off and letting the other person who then becomes the expert in doing that particular thing actually write the process from that so that's their starting point they'll then write up um, that as a starting point and probably develop the way of doing it much better than what i initially did it 
I agree with that. I'm in the same boat. I tend to do things. I record, we do screen recordings most often, um, especially because anytime we do something like hand off a website, we teach people how to log into the back end of their website and find their posts and their pages. So we do, I do a lot of screen recording on an ongoing basis. Um, and then we always do handoff. I actually got my degree in college in professional writing and technical writing. So I was actually trained to write SOPs and I can do it uh, like very easily, but I don't always have the time. So handing it off to somebody who you're right is eventually going to be the expert on my team is better always. But mm. it also helps. I've learned not to have somebody who is the expert write them because sometimes they're still too advanced for people who don't deal with technology, especially. Mm. You have to write yeah, them for like point. a, you have to write them for like a 90 year old. That's my rule. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. You, you get uh, somebody that absolutely doesn't know what they're doing. If they can do it, do it based on the SOP, then it's a good SOP. Right. At the same, at the same time, uh, we, we like to do an exec, um, what do we call it? An expert summary mm -hmm. at the front of them all. So that's the bullet point checklist for those people that know exactly what they're doing. And I, f I find that really helpful. I found that um, sometimes I was skipping steps because I was too lazy to read the whole process because I knew 80% of it. Right. And yeah. And so the bullet checklist at the beginning basically overcomes that because you just say, okay, do this, do this, do this. So it outlines the steps, but it doesn't go into the detail of how to do them because you're assuming the person already knows that. I love that. We also, I have a rule, every SOP, even after the first initial version, always has a detailed video and a written process because, for instance, I actually learn better if I can read it because it's how mm. my brain processes information. But, and I like to be able to skim because I'm like you. I'm like, I know 80% of this. I'm looking for that one yeah. thing I'm missing. <laughs> But I also have worked with a number of people who do not do well if you give them a set of instructions. But if you give them a video that they can that takes them through everything that that written content does side by side and they can follow along, they can get it faster than than I would if I was watching video. Whereas I want to read it. <laughs> mm, yeah, and and I think one of the most popular searches on YouTube is how to. Uh, so and and I certainly make a lot of use of that. One of the things I often do um, if we're thinking about using a new tool and recording something about how to how to use that or something, go and check on YouTube. And often often I'll use videos there. The risk, of course, is that at some point somebody takes that down um, so you don't have control of it. But it's it's a great starting point. The Internet and Google and YouTube are a beautiful thing when it comes to information. Other stuff, not so much. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, so, so what, what you talked about your clients being in a whole range of different industries. So, what is it that excites you most about kind of not not niching down to a specific industry? Um, I love to learn. I would probably be a perennial student if I was interested in actually like sitting in a classroom all the time. Still, I mean. Every five years or so, I decide, I think I should go back and get my master's or like my PhD. And I'm like, and then 10 minutes later, I'm like, that's a bad idea. <laughs> but I love to learn in the big picture sense of absorbing information and meeting new people and finding new things. And I 
my brain moves really fast as all of the people in my world will tell you. So for me about not niching down means that I'm always learning because a lot of what I do, while it's slightly different, is still the same from a business standpoint for every industry. And it lets me learn something new and meet all of these people in my life who are super passionate about what they do. And I get to find new products and I get to find new passions and I get to meet new nonprofits. And it's just a great, I'm a big believer in broadening your community and being an active part of your community. And this is a great way to do that in my business life and in my personal life. Hmm. All right. That's wonderful. Um, so, and, and I'm guessing that connecting the dots in, in the work you do is probably helped through all of that experience with the different industries and being exposed to the different specific ways that people do things in, in their particular industry. It has. I will also say that it's very much, I'm a big believer in when you are stuck, you've got to walk, take a step back and look around at the big picture, look, get away from your devices, whatever it is you're doing, you've got to walk away from for a little while because that's usually when the roadblock goes away. But I will also say that a big part for me with working with so many different people in different spaces at any given time is that sometimes I'll, a client will have this great experience or we'll have a moment and someone will use a piece of technology in a different way or they'll have an aha moment. And I'm like, wait, that applies to that client and that client. And we should be using this in different places because it works, even though we thought it was specific to that client. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Now you mentioned they're sort of taking time away from the devices and the digital. And I know you sent me some information about um, why everyone should take a digital detox regularly. So talk to us a little bit more about that. Um, I So I grew up in a household of, my dad ran one of the biggest dot, uh, startups during the first dot-com bubble. And he always had a pager or a cell, an early cell phone at the dinner table when I was a child. I remember my mother yelling at him to leave it in the kitchen. But it's become like that was just a, the beginning of it. My youngest siblings are attached to their phones. <laughs> Everybody is attached to their phones. I've had people walking down the street not paying attention to where they are glued to their phones. And we forget how to look at people face to face. We forget how to have conversations that don't involve texting. It's also just really nice to not look at a screen. It does something different to your brain. I advocate that everybody take a detox once a quarter. Just turn your phone off for the day and don't like, don't sit in front of the TV. Don't be at your computer. Go outside, run errands. I don't care. Just turn your phone off or at least mute all the notifications. Like I take a Sunday once a month actually. And I turn everything off and I tell everybody like my family not to expect a response from me. And I just decompress. I read a book. I go outside. I go up to the mountains. Um, it's just a good way to get away. And honestly, doing what I do, I love to tell people that I can do my job from anywhere in the world as long as I have a computer, which means I get to travel a lot when we're not yeah. in a pandemic. <laughs> but it also means that if I'm on vacation in New Zealand, a client still fully expects me to be able to fix something if, there's, mm. if something breaks. And that's also not good. So I take a, I make a point to take time off every month just because if I'm glued to my phone all the time, there's always an emergency or mm. 
I become trained to the idea or my clients become trained to the idea that I'm available whenever something goes wrong, even though technically we have business hours. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of um, great advice there. I remember the early days of um, mobile phones. Uh, I don't know if you remember the Blackberries way back in the 1990s. (laughs) My dad had uh, the Motorola flip up one. Yeah. So I was in the corporate world. And I heard about these things and I thought, oh, wow, they're they're fantastic. Um, I wasn't one of the first person in our company to get one. Uh, The salespeople were the first to get them because they needed to quickly respond to client calls and, you know, the interaction with clients and so on. And I remember all these salespeople saying, oh, I hate these Blackberries. They keep buzzing me at all all kinds of different times. And I kept asking them, isn't there a way to turn it off? Isn't there a way to turn off the notifications? <laughs> None of them knew that you could turn off notifications, but they also, you know, they, they had them in their pocket all the time. Like they'd go to bed with them in their pocket and then they'd complain that somebody was actually buzzing them at all hours because we were working in a global company. So often, often there'd be, you know, people would be contacting you from the other side of the world. And so the time zone difference would, mean it was middle of the night i said well why don't you just turn it off and get them to leave a message and get back to them the next morning like we used to yeah <laughs> i had the same problem when i was working in san francisco i was managing clients on three continents and i had clients that would call at three o'clock in the morning having a panic attack on a holiday and i'm like guys it's a holiday and it's three o'clock mm. in the morning go back to bed it's fine <laughs> But like, seriously, stop calling. It's three o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, this is fabulous. Anna. I could go on talking about technology for ages. I, I find um, I'm, I'm very much of the opinion that you should turn off the notifications. I'm really radical about turning off notifications. And recently I've even... Um, allocated myself time to do email and any time that I'm not doing email I'll actually close that window to make sure it's not even open because I find the temptation to go in and quickly write an email Uh, well if I have to write it I'll go in and write the email but there's a huge temptation there oh there's a couple of new emails coming to read them and I'm working very hard to stop that part but of course if the window's closed then I'm not even seeing that But one of the things, I mean, one of my passions and hobbies is photography. And of course, I get my, after I've taken the photographs, I get on the computer to work on processing those. So I'm very rigid about separating when I'm doing that work, work in inverted commas, um, and I'm on the computer as opposed to, you know, business related stuff. So it's, it's kind of, a balance that I'm, I'm still playing with, but uh, it's it's uh, certainly something you can do. Turning off the notifications and and being very conscious about this is what I'm doing now, and all the other stuff waits because it's that's another time. I'm I totally agree with you. I also check my email twice a day, and I haven't noticed. Every client knows that it's. I check my email in the morning once and I check it at the end of the day and everything in it gets handled unless we're dealing with something where people have to go back and forth. Hmm. Um, and I'm like you, I turn, do not disturb on Mac computers was 
is one of the best inventions they've made to technology in the last 10 years. Um, and on my phone, I always remind people to put their phone in do not disturb mode, regardless of your, whether it's an Apple or an Android and to put it face down, because even if it's not making noise, you're still going to see things pop up. So if you put it face yep. down, you don't see it. Yeah. Or well, one, of, one, of, <laughs> one of the, one of the bullet points on my list of preparation for the podcast is put the phone and the tablet in the other room. Exactly. I actually move it into a different room because I, every now and then there'll be some notification that um, turns itself back on and all of a sudden there'll be a buzz or something. <laughs> so I, I figured, okay, the, the easy thing here is I just move it to the other room, close all the doors, and ignore it. That's smart. I also have my do not disturb set to turn on at 11 o'clock at night so mm. that if you are reaching out to me between the hours of 11 a.m. and 6 a.m., it will come through, but I'm not going to hear it unless you are on my emergency call list. And then you have to call twice. <laughs> yeah. Yes, that's uh, good advice. All right. Well, uh, I think it's a good point now to move on to the buzz, which is our innovation round. And it's designed to help our audience who are primarily innovators and leaders in their field with some tips from your experience. So I've got five questions. Hopefully you'll give us some really inspiring answers to have the listener go away and do something awesome as a result today. Oh, fun. Okay. Yeah. So what do you think the number one thing is anyone needs to do to be more innovative? Get away from your computer. <laughs> In all honesty, yeah. like I cannot say this enough. Go take a walk. Do hmm. something. I find myself being more innovative and having the ideas flow when I'm hmm. sitting with a blank pad of paper, not in my office. So if I want some breathing room or I just need, or I know that something is niggling and I just have it, I'm blocked, I will leave my office space and my computer. I'll even leave my phone and I will go outside and sit on a park bench and draw and just let my, my, my brain wander and it always comes together. But the biggest thing is leave your technology behind hmm. because the breakthrough moments happen when you are not focused on a screen. Yeah. And I think some of a lot of that is that you actually get to access some of your unconscious um, thinking and unconscious resources that are there. Um, and if you're not focused on a specific transaction, which is typically what you're doing when you're in front of the screen, um, then that happens. I find that I get lots of ideas when I'm out riding the bike because the mind's doing other things. Right. I get the same thing when I go for a run or when I swim mm. laps. Um, yeah. It's letting your body do something in motion that doesn't require your brain to process. There's also mm. truly something about fresh air. So as long as you live someplace where it's A, not freezing, or B, the air quality is really bad, going yeah. outside also does something to your, helps your brain. It's, mm. there's nothing like fresh, fresh oxygen. Yeah. All right. Um, now, what's the best thing you've done to develop new ideas? Best thing. I love talking to new people. <laughs> Honestly, it is the best thing I do on a regular basis. I make a point to talk to somebody that I haven't talked to in a while or somebody new on a weekly or at least a bi-weekly basis, depending on how packed my schedule is. Because a new perspective can always change anything. And I am a really big believer in as long as you have open dialogue, people are always willing to talk. Hmm. Yeah, well, that's that's another great tip, and I 
that's one of the things that I love about this podcast is I get to speak to all these wonderful people all around the world and they're happy to talk to me for anything up to an hour or sometimes it goes even longer than that. And um, I get to have notes about it later on and I've got a system now where I'm reminded about some of the highlights that struck me at the time and I get they pop up in my feed every now and then again. And I think, oh, I, there was something that I forgotten about i'll go back revisit that and maybe take some action on that so yeah it's a great great way to get out and talk to new people and you know they're in the midst of COVID, obviously because we're not doing so much of this face-to-face there are tons of platforms that exist to do this where you can just essentially it's like chat roulette where you can just get on your computer and talk to somebody face-to-face for 10 minutes or meet somebody where you can both focus together and bounce ideas off of each other there are tons of platforms to do this now. And it's hmm. both a great connector and a great distancer, I guess. I'm yeah. on the fence about technology this week. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so do you have a favorite resource to use most often? Mm. Well, my favorite scheduling tool is called Woven. And it's basically like, Acuity and Calendly and a regular calendar and all of the, and like group meet links, all of it is rolled into one and it's super smart. And I've been using it for a couple of years now and it is the smartest. It's like having a virtual assistant in your back pocket mm-hmm. and I use it with everybody and it makes scheduling everything so easy. Um, so I use that almost every day with yeah. my, because yeah. my calendar is a huge part of my life. Um, I have you I have played with woven a little bit. I haven't kind of come to grips with it yet, but we've got a whole lot of systems already set up um with you know automated booking of the podcast and automated booking of other things. So um I haven't quite figured out how does woven how could woven fit into all of that or probably it can replace a lot of things. So we'd have to revamp a whole lot of stuff. I love it because it lets me do a couple of things. It lets me have a, a recurring public meeting link for things like consults for new people. Mm. But it also lets me, I have a group of subcontractors, for instance, that I work with all the time. And we often need to jump on Zoom or get on video and quickly chat through something because we can't do it on the phone or we can't do it over email or Slack. And Woven lets us share our availability across all of our calendars. So even if I have a personal meeting on my like personal calendar, my availability is shown as busy so that my subcontractors can't book a meeting over that event. So they see yeah. all of my open availability and we can just hop on each other's calendars as needed. And that's been fantastic. And I love it because it, it actually transcends like needing to be in the same Google, like being on the same Google suite account versus being on Outlook. It works across all of our calendars, personal and professional, and all of our ecosystems. Hmm. All right. Love it. And we'll have a link to the Woven app on on the show notes as well. Now, what's the best way to keep a project or a client on track? Um, a project management system, in all honesty. <laughs> and I have it's funny, I don't actually recommend one specific project management system because everybody has different opinions. Um if it's just getting the client into that system, like getting them onboarded and understanding how it works. Um, I've used Asana to really good effect with clients. We've used Trello, which is seems to be the most common with solopreneurs. 
Um, I really love ClickUp because it lets me plug in a bunch of different pieces, but it also makes it more sophisticated, which is great for me and not so great for newbie clients. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but having a project management system where people know everything that's sort of in the backlog or coming up and then having a good idea of where everybody is and knowing, seeing there's something super fabulous about being able to see all of those individual t task and to-do cards in the done column. It's all of those quick wins. It's that great endorphin rush. Um, we also set them up in Slack channels to ping every time like a sale happens or every time someone moves something into a completed because it's a big part of a project. So everybody gets a little bit of an endorphin rush when we have those moments because it just helps make people feel excited about what they're working on. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The project management software, I think, is really valuable. I, and I'm like you, I'm still on the fence in terms of what a good good system is. We we use Asana. We've been using Asana for many years. I keep sort of having a look at other systems and and then but there's so much we have now in Asana that I think oh, the moving all that information over is is a big deal. That would be so and, hard. It's hard yeah. when you want to move to a new system and there's so much history that mm -hmm. is in another system. Um and there are a number of ways to handle that, but it's also really about also retraining everybody on something new, and that's its own that's onus. Right. That's, yeah, mm. yeah. So we've we've started. Um, well, we've been using Notion for probably two years now to do all of our um, systems and processes. To do, I mean, all the podcast information's in Notion. It's my daily to-do list is in Notion. My um, all my documentation, my personal stuff is in Notion. Even some of my photography works in Notion now. Um, so, and I do have um, some projects in Notion, and we're playing around with building a little project management um, variant there. But of course, that would then require people we work with to have Notion as well. So that you know, that there's always that issue. I love Notion. Uh, for content planning, because it's really it's a really easy way to lay out all of the different pieces for people, um, especially on a calendar. But I found that Notion lacked some collaborative issues with their new team structure that I really struggled with, and I actually moved everything out of Notion and into Airtable. Okay. Hmm. And so I like Airtable because it's like super, it's like Excel spreadsheets on crack. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. But I like Airtable for doc for like systems documentation and organizational information. Um, I use a note taking app called Bear, and that's where I keep all of my to do lists and action items. Mm. But it's not a really a, it's just my personal like brain dump space where I drop yeah. everything. Yeah, yeah. I think I had a quick look at that, but that's Apple only, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> and I will own right. that I am an Apple ecosystem human. Yeah. Yeah, I, I certainly uh, Airtable is interesting because I, I, we played with Airtable in the early days and I thought, wow, these relational databases and how easy they are to set up here is fabulous. But you can certainly do all that in Notion as well. So we've kind of settled on Notion for our own internal use now, which um, you know, I think I'm quite happy with that. But I'm still with the project management systems. I'm still... I probably will keep looking for the ideal one. <laughs> I would suggest you look at ClickUp, actually, because mm. it really rolls a lot of the stuff that everybody loved about Trello and Asana and 
you can actually embed Notion or in integrate Notion into ClickUp. Yeah. And it's slightly more sophisticated, but it also is easier to use once it's set up. I have, yeah. I have looked at ClickUp, but I don't recall now why, why I kind of parked it again. <laughs> anyway, all right. Well, we've got one more question to go on the buzz round, which is what's the number one thing anyone can do to differentiate themselves? Be yourself. <laughs> Honestly, this is that this is the thing that I find happening more often than not, and it boggles my mind. We get so caught up in being intimidated by other people doing things, by feeling like an imposter, feeling like you're copying somebody else, that we change the way we engage with our communities, we change the way we engage online, um, we change the way we write our bios, the way we write our website copy. If you can be your authentic self across the board and hold to that, like be own your voice, you will stand out because that's also the thing that makes you generally, if you can be yourself, your passion comes through. Mm -hmm. And when you start tweaking that to fit a different audience or to fit a specific message, you stop feeling authentic. And most solopreneurs get to that point have done that so many times, that's usually when I see them hitting burnout because yeah. they don't feel like themselves anymore. Yeah, and it costs so much energy. I was having a conversation in the last episode with Sheldon Shaw, who's an actor and playwright, and he was talking about acting and the... And, and I pointed out that by not being yourself, you're essentially acting a role. And as an actor it takes a lot of energy to get into that role and to act out that role. And yet many of us as entrepreneurs get to this point where we act out that role and, and that's really draining. It's also very much a case of seeing, there's a lot of what you see on the internet is not real life. <laughs> and we live in You mean Gary Vaynerchuk didn't, didn't, he wasn't an overnight success? <laughs> You know, well, I know Gary, so I'm not going to make a statement about that. But yeah. the reality is we are so trained by social media to see all of these influencers with airbrushed lifestyles and million-dollar businesses. Hmm. And it's like everybody forgot where they came from, and nobody talks about the yeah. struggle it took to get there or the passion that it took to reach that threshold and to find that thing that really drives them. And a lot, even even then, there are so many people who hit that threshold and have just stopped being passionate about what they're doing. It's so hard. And the other thing I say is, don't rush it. If you are really passionate about it, take the time to enjoy the process. Because mm -hmm. yes, you're still working towards a goal, but if you rush through something that should take six months and you do it in a couple weeks you're going to miss out on the fun of building it and the experience yeah. of it. And when you get to the end, because you're going to do that over and over and over again, you're going to reach the end of that and have a successful business and be ready to sell it because you're so burned out and you don't like it anymore hmm. because yeah. you didn't yeah. enjoy the process. Yeah. And there's, that's really great advice. And I have spoken to a number of entrepreneurs that got to that point were incredibly successful and they, Got, got effectively got to the top of the mountain they were climbing and suddenly thought what what was that all about and right, you know, they felt back? no felt no sense of achievement at all even though that they'd actually achieved this massive goal 
you know, built this massive business, um, got to the point where they could sell it for, you know, a lot of money and yet felt a sense of total emptiness. It's, it boggles my mind that you can, I know it happens because it used to, I used to see it happen all the time and I used to burn out like crazy when I worked in tech. Um, it was like clockwork every 18 months. I'd hate my job. I'd be bored out of my mind and I'd quit my job and promise myself I was going to take six months off and then I'd get bored and go back to work too fast. But it's this cycle that we have been trained on that everybody needs to be going all the time, that you need to be hitting all of these milestones so fast. And you just, if you can't enjoy the process, you're going to hate it in the end. Hmm. All right. Well, thanks, Anna. This has been absolutely fabulous. Now, where can people find out more about you and maybe even reach out and say thanks for what you've shared today? Uh, you can always get me on email. You can reach me at uh, hello at wickedmarvelous.com. And that's, do you want me to spell it? Oh, we'll, we'll write it in the show notes. <laughs> Perfect. Um, you can also find me on Facebook and Instagram, and you can always catch me personally on LinkedIn. All right. And we'll add all those links in the show notes. Perfect. So uh, do you have some parting advice for our listener today? Enjoy the process and <laughs> be yourself. I feel mm. like that's the message everybody needed in 2020. Yeah. <laughs> yes, well, it, it, it was kind of, in some ways, people realized they had permission to be themselves so they could, uh, because they were working from home, so they could uh, kind of let people see behind the scenes or see the the real them. So I heard a story about um, a CEO of a, a rather large bank here that was actually acquired by another business. And the new CEO came in and did a Zoom meeting with his uh, executive team. And he was in a hoodie sitting on his bed in his bedroom. You know, so that was kind of like pretty extreme in terms of letting people see behind the scenes. But I think that whole idea of the pandemic and the social distancing and working from home people suddenly have thought well that gives me permission to let people see who i really am i think it's true i will also say if nothing the pandemic should have taught everybody that if you didn't have solid boundaries about work and life you yeah. needed to create some <laughs> because right. everybody started working more and getting stuck and being angry behind their screens last year and that was sad Hmm. All right. Well, finally then, Anna, who else should I get on this podcast and why? Well, I work with two really amazing women. They're both named Sarah, and <laughs> they started an innovative doula practice in Colorado. And they also building an academy, right? They've built an academy to train other people to be doulas. And it's a whole new, they're taking a whole new perspective on an ages old industry that didn't used to be a profession. And they're doing amazing things, helping families and support women. And they're innovating in a space that is overdue for innovation. Hmm. All right. Well, we'll get an intro to the two Sarahs from you and um, reach out to them and see if we can have a conversation with them as well. I think they would love to talk to you. <laughs> hmm. All right. So thanks so much for sharing your time and your insights so generously with us today, Anna. I've really enjoyed our conversation, really appreciate your time and please stay in touch. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. It was so much fun to have this conversation and I'm excited to chat more with you about all the different things we enjoy working on in business. Great. And we'll certainly do that offline. <laughs> Definitely.
hope you enjoyed that wonderfully insightful conversation with Anna and took something away from her episode. I love Anna's learning mindset and philosophy, as well as the concept of enjoying the process as you work towards your goals. Now, I'm curious to know what you took away from Anna's episode. Leave a comment below the blog post, which you can find at innovabiz.co forward slash Anna Adams. That is A-N-N-A-A-D-D-O-M-S. All lowercase, all one word, innovabiz.co forward slash Anna Adams. You'll also find contact information for getting in touch with Anna there, as well as links to the Wicked Marvelous website, her social media pages, and the other resources we spoke about in our conversation. If you liked this episode, please share it with at least two other people. It's your duty to help spread this wonderful information to other people who it might help. Tag me in on that share and I'll reach out to you with a special thank you surprise. Tune in again to the next episodes of the Innova Buzz podcast where we've got more fantastic guests lined up including Brian Jones of VA Platinum and business coach Louisa Joe. Thanks for listening to this episode. Make sure you subscribe to the show to be reminded of new episodes. It's free to subscribe. Leave a review if you like. Even if you don't like me, I'm okay with that. I'm asking you to leave a review because it helps other people find this show. Go to innovabiz.co to join our marketing transformation community and access a free gift my team and I made for you. It's the Marketing Master Mini Class. We want to give you everything you need to transform your marketing into a human-centered, relationship-focused growth engine. Until next time, I'm Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz. Remember, be awesome and keep innovating.